What's next? This is a question we're all having to ask and answer more frequently. I'm Jenny Blake, your host of the Pivot Podcast and author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is Your Next One. For show notes from this episode, visit pivotmethod.com slash podcast. If change is the only constant, then let's get better at it. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pivot Podcast. And with great anticipation, back to the Penny and Jenny show. I am delighted to be here with my dear friend, Penny Pierce. We have now done 11 episodes together. And I just read her essay yesterday on the podcast, episode 167, How Coronavirus is Speeding Us Toward Transparency. Penny is an expert on all things intuition, frequency, transparency, change, the unseen realm, dreams, 24-hour consciousness. She's truly an incredible person, and the way she thinks about life and evolution is so unique that as soon as the coronavirus pandemic really started to spread virally around the world, I knew we had to get Penny back on the podcast as I mentioned yesterday, she's the favorite guest for so many of you. Whenever somebody tells me they listen to the Pivot Podcast, they say, I love Penny Pierce. Your episodes with her are my favorite. So I'm really glad that she can be here with us during this time. And as I mentioned yesterday, Penny will be our super special guest for the next Pivot Insider call on Wednesday, April 8th. So if you want the chance to interact with both of us live and on Zoom, Join us at pivotmethod.com slash insider. And if you want to catch up on all the previous conversations with Penny, which are all so relevant now more than ever, those are at pivotmethod.com slash PJ show. Penny, welcome back. Hey, it's so much fun when we get together. I love it. I know. I always have so much fun catching up in between and, and planning what we could do. And then this time, I think we'd be very proud of ourselves tech-wise. <laughs> for riffing on your essay in a Google Doc and writing <laughs> comments back and forth. The format of this, listeners, just so you know, we're going to go through the essay that I read in of Penny's in episode 167, and we're going to talk about what it all means. And we'll, I'll have a chance to ask her some follow-up questions. And then you can always ask us a follow-up question too. Submit us a voice note at pivotmethod.com slash ask. So Penny, to kick us off, why don't you read the first two paragraphs and then we'll we'll start there. Okay. Uh, this is, I, I know what I was trying to do in these first two paragraphs was just kind of shorthand it for people so we understand what, what's going on. Because I'm always looking at what's happening under the surface of the physical reality that might be causing the physical reality. So here we go. I started off saying that we're living through what I've been calling the bridge time. The transition period between two very different realities. The old reality is one we know well. It's marked by linear thinking, past, present, future, beginning, middle, end, cause, action, effect, which results from focusing attention on things like separation, ego, polarization, willpower, and fear as our default setting. The old reality has become too slow because life and the earth itself are actually accelerating. We're vibrating at ever-increasing frequencies, and our old way of knowing and doing things can't keep up. 
we now need a faster, more elegant way to live and be, one that can match the higher vibration and evolve with it. The new reality is based on spiritual principles and universal truths, and it is birthing itself right now and burning off everything that's in the way. This is the time of the opening of Pandora's box, when all the little demons and pests are released, and those are long-stored, suppressed, subconscious traumas and terrors and griefs and rages. It is the time of clearing, when we learn to dissolve fear and suffering and become transparent. Now, transparency is a state of being that allows I, the soul, to flow unimpeded through the various bodies or frequencies of consciousness. And those would be like the causal level, the mental, the emotional, the etheric energy level, the physical itself, to guide and educate me, the personality, about living in this new frictionless way and creating the life experience that I'm built for. You, you say it's the time of the opening of Pandora's box. As soon as I read that, I just resonated so much. And it's also the time of clearing. I can't help but think back to New Year's Eve, whenever I was so hopeful for the new decade, the new year, and having all these powerful visions for how we're going to start off this new decade. There was so much in the press, even 2020 vision, everyone was using this term. And it's become quite a different kind of year already in March. And we know that the spread of coronavirus started in right around the holidays in Wuhan, China. Now here we are not yet three months into the new year, and we're all being asked to stop stay home. Everything is closed except for the necessities. So it's just wild. I, I guess I'm wondering if you could comment on that of <laughs> yeah. this time of clearing at, at what had previously felt like such an optimistic time. Well, I still think it is. I think this is a big part of uh, really getting deep down into the core fears that we have that we never want to touch, that we didn't want to think about at all. You know, and so what I am still very excited about the year. I mean, I started day one of the year with my phone ringing off the hook and all kinds of things coming in, almost with no, not me trying to, to cause them. They just came, opportunities and so forth. And then, of course, a lot of the travel ones have canceled at this point or postponed. But still, there's something very exciting in the not the air so much, you know, but the undercurrent of things in the energetic, etheric body of our society. Um, and, and, you know, fear is very titillating. It's, it gets your adrenaline going and all that, and that can really work us up. But what I'm talking about is a more refined, higher frequency kind of enthusiasm, excitement. So it's still there because we're evolving this year tremendously. Yeah, I do you know, feel and that. And I guess maybe the other thing is, yeah, it's that w I think we're receiving a huge influx of energy right now. And it's like, if you want to adapt and go with it, and you know, part of that is, you know, I saw myself early in the year that, you know, I always use the image of the ball reality, that I live in this certain kind of size of a scope that I have, but I saw the year was going to expand the scope. It was going to jump up a level. And that meant more access to knowledge, more access to everything through time and space and more, more of me, more of the soul. And 
I had no idea how that was going to happen. But I feel like this clearing time is going to ironically work opposite of the way everybody thinks it is working. I don't know if you have felt that too. Well, that's so true. um, I mean, even how the year is starting is the opposite. And you and I have talked in the past and previous episodes about liminal space and what we jokingly or affectionately call the goose state. It's as if right now the entire planet is in a goose state. When you said uh, there's a powerful energy that's entering or that we're all receiving, we all need to sort of sit and be still to receive it in that way. You know, maybe it's so powerful that we can't continue as normal. And I can't see how everyone on the planet will not be shifted in some way because of this, which is unlike anything that any of us have really experienced in our lifetimes. Yes. I mean, part of the, the benefit of this all is this enforced time within or time to be quiet, to pull away from all the left brain activity and busy, 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 busy stuff so that we can get quiet, so that we can perhaps spend the time with family and start to value a whole different set of values, you know, that see what's really important. And perhaps the only way people could start integrating this influx of high frequency energy is to be quiet. You know, if you're too much in your left brain and pushing with willpower, you can't you, you can't access it. You can't allow it to integrate or move through you or move you, mm-hmm. you know. You've also said this is a year of choice. Do we go forward or do we resist? Are we yes. in flow or not? Yes. I could speak for myself and say it's been a little bit of a roller coaster because some days I'm frustrated, other days I accept it. Other days, I'm even grateful that I'm not traveling anywhere and I'm at home for the time being. There's a weird relief in that of, wow, life is so simple now by mandate. There is no restaurant to go to or shows or anything in New York. How how can people go with the flow here, so to speak, and not resist? And how will they know if they're in, in flow or not? Well, I think we can talk about this throughout the whole of this podcast about the choice point. And the choice is, do you want to choose fear, panic, and negative states of mind? Like what you're talk to yourself about what isn't and what might never happen and what you're not going to be able to do and how this isn't going to work and all that thing, which if you experience that, it makes your body contract. It's like you, you close up and, you know, just become solid. And then you have no access at all to higher information or new ideas or, or anything, any of the nice quality states of being that come with open-mindedness, you know. So you can choose to contract like that and get all heavy and be a victim about it all and complain. Or you can choose to allow the energy to come in and work with you to lift you, to move you, to help surface some of the old stuff that you don't need anymore. And, you know, it's not so much trust. I think when we think about not having enough trust, it's often because we're not merged with the experience that's happening to us. We're not understanding the deeper flow of this you know, on the surface, it looks like enforced quarantining and having to be separate from everybody and be on your own and face the void. But really, it's about accessing 
the imaginal realm where all possibilities exist. Getting back to that childlike sense of play, you know, where we can access intuition and access inspiration. So I think we're choosing right now. And it's an important time of choice. And it's true that by not having so much external stimulus, although now it's all going digital, (laughs) now there's a lot of overwhelm, at least I see so many things going online, and I'm already getting a little tired. But uh, it is a time I love what you said about tapping into our imagination, and our imagination can be directed toward imagining the worst case, and what we don't have and what we don't want, just like you said, or we tap into imagination of what's possible from here. And it does strike me that you say later in the essay, isn't mindfulness and quiet what we've all been asking for? (laughs) Isn't that what the whole meditation movement (laughs) is about? But we don't have time for it. Right. Right. There's a lot of other things we should get to perhaps to talk about here in the the next couple paragraphs. So why don't you read some, Jenny, for a while, and then I'll come back in again. Perfect. So we are experiencing an ongoing release of negativity personally and in the collective societal mind. It's why ugliness, meanness, domination, and hate have been flooding our lives and the media. These are all cover-ups for deep-set fear and panic. All of this is part of the bridge time, part of the surfacing of our deepest fears. To have an enlightened new reality, everything that is not of the light must be seen, understood, and dissolved. This time period and this process must happen. It is part of a positive evolution of humanity and the planet, and it won't last forever. We must learn to navigate the challenges and clear ourselves totally, once and for all. I think this is part of the choice, right? That like, I'm going to decide now, I'm going to choose to get rid of, you know, fear is okay, you know, because it can save us from walking down the dark alley and getting attacked. But we have needless fears, right, <laughs> that are based on old experiences that happened to us in our past, even in our past lives, I suppose. Uh, that are, And those things are partially perceived experiences where we just shut down suddenly and never open back up to see what was really going on. So this time period is about clearing all of that needless fear and allowing more and more of the soul to flow through, you know, and it, it's like when you, when you get in a relationship and you say, I really want it love. I want to be in love. I want to share love. And then it sounds so great because you're romantic and all this great stuff happens. And then suddenly all the garbage comes up. <laughs> so that, true. Right around month three, like four, five. Person. Yeah. They're upsetting me, you know, but that's because you asked for the love. So everything that isn't love has to be brought to the surface so you can clear it so that you can have what you ask for. Absolutely. And in that example, isn't the irony that all those things that come up that you think you can't accept are actually where the love is generated? Because you say, well, I thought I couldn't accept this. And I, ha- I thought this person wasn't matching up on my checklist of who they should be. And then as soon as we drop that and accept them and accept the situation and accept exactly how they are, that's where the love emerges. It's not bending the outer person or circumstances to our will. It's quite the opposite. It's what you said, that the choice to be in flow and the allowing this process to happen, even if on the surface, it seems like, oh, we wish that it weren't happening. Yes. Yeah. And I think another piece of that is that 
when you stop resisting the thing you think is bad <laughs> um, often and you just let it be, suddenly you start to see the positive side of it. You know, how interesting your partner would be and what they're, the way they think is so useful for certain things, you know, and that you hadn't seen that before. And the same thing is happening here. We're seeing the positive effects of what this, what would we call this, this this um, symbolic event that has surfaced out of an, an inner energy blueprint on the planet. It's surfacing and being created out of a field of consciousness and energy that has a lot of contraction in it. You know, so we're, we're trying to release it. But of course, then, you know, the next paragraph, we're talking about um, what resists this and, and why it gets blocked. Yes, let me read that part. You say, yet there is a powerful force that resists and demeans this clearing. Ego. Ego, the experience of the disconnected, isolated self, wants to maintain its power structure and keep things the way they were. It doesn't want to experience chaos or the void. We've watched the rise of narcissism and destructive self-centeredness in leaders around the world because the ego's methods are now being widely exposed. We see people victimized by these arrogant, insensitive, ego-driven bosses, people forced from their homes and lands, children ripped from parents or sold to sex traffickers, an opioid epidemic that turns people into zombies, to name just a few repercussions. With the increase in frequency on the planet, the ego is being eclipsed. It can no longer hold back the wave of transformation. It can no longer be the boss, the director of reality. Soul-centered consciousness is taking over, causing us to dredge up what's at the very bottom of Pandora's box. So what else might be down there? What could succeed at dislodging the ego's carefully plotted power maintenance strategy? What could cut through those long-standing negative identity habits to help us see a new way? How might we accelerate our global process of clearing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say welcome to the little but mighty coronavirus. <laughs> it, it seems to me to be the perfect symbolic materialization of our suppressed subconscious traumas, terrors, griefs, and rages, and of the ego itself. Ego-driven leaders need isolation at the top of the hierarchy to succeed. They're experts in domination. They easily charm others into agreement and are clever and chameleon-like, changing on a dime to avoid detection, criticism, and destruction. Coronavirus does something similar dominating, spreading, and avoiding detection by seeming like any other flu, replicating itself, mutating, and hiding. Say welcome to the little but mighty coronavirus. <laughs> Isn't it wild how this microscopic bacteria and my dad was saying, you know, we don't classify bacteria as a being. And yet it has its mind of its own. It's so Darwinian and it's drive to succeed and replicate and multiply itself. And your comparison to the way that a virus functions and the way that ego-driven society functions and politics was so interesting. Yeah, it's and it's what I just said a little bit earlier here was that the physical materialization of this kind of thing comes from an, an energy body that's in the, the consciousness and energetic field of our, of our planet which is a collective thing made up of all of our collective beliefs and ideas and fears and, you know, how we, we're going to survive and, you know, be special and great. So ego is a huge thing right now. Uh, and it, 
you know, the more I look at it, the more I see that it's very much in the way. But of course, it also um, is kind of a catalyst for bringing up fear. So in, in some ways, it's helpful. But we don't need ego as our sense of self anymore. That's it's it's going to be something like I said, it's going to be eclipsed. It's, um, you know, it's an old perception idea. There are two things come to mind when you say that one, I have a little skepticism, like, oh, isn't it all just going to go back to normal after this, you know, and maybe that's me already projecting into the future. How can we know? But the other hand, there is a very real acceleration of whatever people were afraid of. And even myself, I was having some business anxieties around my own growth and my own skill building around sales, negotiation, contracts, things that were previously in my stretch zone, let's call it. Mm. And the coronavirus completely accelerated those because it meant everything was even more uncertain. Everything was up in the air. All my speaking was canceled. It just kind of pulled a rug out from under of fears that I was already having. And in a way, it really made me look at every fear because every fear sort of got 10x'd by reality (laughs) when the outer world has sort of seized all economic activity for the most part, unless it's one of the industries that are directly involved in preventing the spread. Right. Well, it was, it's very successful at changing uh, momentum, you know, that people who are going fast or uh, getting ahead of themselves, I'm not saying that's you, but, but that's a lot of us. Um, it's so easy to project, you know, and this is not going to let us do that. So it's it's forcing us really to come back to center and slow down and notice little things. Yeah. So why don't you read this next part? I love this next paragraph. <laughs> Me too. Me too. And And for noticing, it's true as well, because now a simple walk outside is a real blessing. It's a real highlight of the day. <laughs> yeah. Next part. Coronavirus is an equal opportunity infector. The idea of being special and above the law is being brought low by a tiny, hijacking, parasitic virus that is no respecter of peoples. It doesn't avoid those with gigantic, successful egos. It is not racist, class-oriented, bipartisan, or political. And it doesn't care if you're rich, famous, or a manual laborer and poor. Coronavirus is a great opportunist. It takes advantage of every possible chance to expand itself. It is greedy for power, for space, for attention. In so many ways, it is the epitome of ego. It is the ego's replicant. (laughs) I love that word. It's like a sci-fi thing. It is like cue the Twilight Zone music. Yes. Wow. (laughs) The ego's replicant is just wild to consider. I didn't really have this thought about coronavirus until this conversation, but Not only is it the ego's replicant, and we could see it as this nefarious evil thing, but it is also a bringer of change in a way. You know, it's this little thing like we don't know yet what it's doing for humanity. We actually, of course, we don't want anybody to die. I mean, that's the worst case scenario, and that's terrible. But there's such a sea change that this little tiny invisible thing is bringing. Yes. And so I wonder if it's the ego's replicant, but it's also, as you said, it's this energy body and this clearing that might be as well replicating other things at the same time. Well, I think that we have not had a clear sense of what the ego is. You know, we have not understood its mechanisms, how it fights to stay in control and be the boss of everything. 
And we're starting to see that with our narcissistic leaders and how they operate. But a lot of light is being shed on what the ego is and how it works and what it does and how it affects people across the board, especially people who it deems as less important than itself. <laughs> you know, uh, And I think that shedding light on those things helps bring it into consciousness and then helps us be able to make the choice that we need to make about do we want to live that way? Or wh what about when the soul is in charge? Wow, there's a different reality and that's the new reality that's coming in and it works so much more elegantly. Yeah, and you said earlier, soul-centered consciousness is taking over. I guess my question is, how do we know? How do we know soul-centered consciousness is taking over from here and that this isn't, again, that it wouldn't, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just wonder how we can know because things have gotten so extreme. You know, you say in the next piece, I think of the behavior of greedy, power-hungry people over the centuries acting the same way coronavirus acts, invading other people's territories, conquering by first weakening and debilitating, then imprisoning, and finally killing people. And just as coronavirus infects people before they even know it, power-hungry dictators have used spies and secretive meetings of infiltration in the early stages of overthrowing foreign lands. We have surveillance capitalism now. We have mm -hmm. hyper-capitalism, income inequality. We have so much that's going on. I guess my question is, I would love to know that soul-centered consciousness is taking over. You know, I would love, and I could feel that on an individual level. I just wonder how we get there as a society while we're still seeming to be sort of on pause. Well, remember, we're in the bridge time between two realities where the two kinds of consciousness exist side by side. And that's why the choice is so important that we have to add energy into the one we really want. But, you know, you can't know in your left brain that this is for sure. What you have to do is drop more into the right brain and the body and into that, that centered place where you stop time and you can feel truly. And then you start to really understand that this is an important time. You know, left brain people are always going to poo-poo this because it seems so far out. But anyone who meditates and goes into deep inner spaces speaks the same story. We are all getting the same kind of information. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a collective thing, you know, and it's not left-brained. You know, it is an experiential reality. How do we get there? We each do it. We each do it and stay in that higher frequency reality and in our you know soul self and we share with other people who are doing it and we create from that state and we start building a kind of momentum i suppose or a, a kind of a critical mass where at a certain point i think not everybody on the planet is going to have to change it will just shift very quickly look how fast the internet worked from 1992 until, oh my right. goodness, you know. Um, so I have no doubt, but yeah. that's me. <laughs> I, oh, I love it. I love it. And I, I just love that perspective of it's for each of us to choose and shift and feel into, into that place where time stops, as you said so beautifully. You do so much dream work. Have your dreams been heightened or stronger during this time? 
Um, a few of them, not all of them. I get these punctuation mark dreams, <laughs> you know. Um, a lot of it's just processing of old stuff that's clearing. You know, I'm doing it too. Why don't you read us the message from the soul? Of well, there's of one us. more paragraph. Here. Oh, okay. So yeah. the one right before says, I think too of how we have recently been invaded by cyber terrorism from the Russian web brigade of bots and troll armies. Just as a virus works to replicate itself, so any thoughts that foster fear, rage, and hate can replicate among people in any walk of life, thanks to the contagion-fostering Petri dish of social media. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I always call this the law of correlation. Whatever's happening in your inner world is happening in the outer world and vice versa, because there's actually no difference. The inner world is the realm of thought and feeling, and the outer world is the realm of form but they're coming from the same inner blueprint. So so when you can look and see, well, how is that outer reality just like something happening inside of me or inside of us or inside of everybody in the world? You know, I'm always doing that. Not to mention yeah. the fact that going viral on social media and <laughs> right. news shifting over to platforms like Facebook and BuzzFeed and the whole purpose of clickbait headlines and things going viral or fake news, inaccurate campaign ads and, and election meddling, all of that, I can really see a parallel to what's happening here. And just the notion of misinformation, and then even you see it directly applied, but the language, our language is even the same. And, and that so much of that viral content attaches to our emotions. So now so many studies show that posts that make you angry are more likely to be shared or funny, or cute, but they make you feel something and, and they it hooks into our emotions and our mm -hmm. vulnerabilities there. And then we become users, you know, tech or media users, the infinite scroll, there's so much that it does that sort of traps us in the Petri dish. Yes. And now here we are, we are just truly a global Petri dish of <laughs> this pandemic, and getting a chance to examine those habits and those choices. And I think this is a real reckoning to say what's important to me, who's important to me, what kind of connection is important to me. And what do I need to filter out during this time? Exactly. I was just looking at that word pandemic the other day, and I thought, well, if you took the letters D-E-M out of the middle of it, you get panic. Right. And isn't it interesting <laughs> that, you know, that word contains within it the negative response? There's a message that comes out of watching all this and starting to understand this. And I, I say, so here is a message from the soul of all of us coming via this global pandemic, and that is how much of your identity is invested in ego? How much have you attached your own importance and survival to having money, power, or influence over others, or getting attention from people who agree with you? When you are denied any of these, do you panic and contract like a stone and sink, or do you expand into the imaginal realm discover new paths, and choose to maintain your preferred home frequency state. And I mean by that, the kind of the soul in the body experience, that preferred state that you really love to be when you really like yourself and you like everybody else. And I'm just going to say right now, if you haven't read the book Frequency 
by our beloved Penny Pierce listeners. <laughs> you must read it. It changed my life. It gave me so many insights and ahas. And some of our earliest episodes of the Penny and Jenny show, we do talk about frequency and how to find your home frequency. So be sure to go check those out. I would also add to this list, Penny, I would add control because mm. I think control can be a subtle way that our ego shows up. Even if we think that we're trying to control circumstances or people or business for the greatest good, I noticed for myself, the nature or desire to control things just got incinerated. Like, well, too bad you can't control <laughs> anything. And in fact, every single day is going to be different than the one before it. Whatever you think you're scheduling for even a week out could change. I was even thinking, I've been having so much fun podcasting every day. It's really challenging for me. It's just calling me to do something I didn't even think I could do. And yet, if I get coronavirus, which we're now in New York City at the global epicenter of it, well, I'll have a cough. I'll lose my voice. Like even that can go, you know, it's just crazy. There's this total release and surrender of even attaching to have answers or attaching to have plans, which I find so interesting, even beyond the money, power, influence, sort of greed grabbing that we talked about. There's even the subtle layer that this requires us to shed and let go of. Those are such good insights. Yeah, it, it's so much truth there. Um, we can talk about this later, but there's just this feeling I have that this is, you know, I've written out a lot of things in the stock market in the past and, and crazy things, but this is so different. It may seem that life is going down the drain, but beneath the surface, the universal laws still function in compassionate ways we're still able to materialize our reality based on what frequency we place our attention on and what frequency we match and what kind of thoughts and feelings we consistently entertain. You know, that is a universal principle. There are as many possible realities as ever before, and nothing holds you back from creating one except your own negative thinking or your own contraction into that fear. So creativity is only curtailed by thinking about what isn't or what can't be. And that's so true, because when we think about what isn't or what can't be, I even talk about this in Pivot, it doesn't move anything forward. There's no ideas that get generated from that. It's a sinking. It's a stop. It's a period at the end of a sentence. That's right. And, and I heard um, Mario Cuomo say the other morning on the news that he's talking to a, a man who was totally in panic and talking a lot of good things to him and the man couldn't hear him. And he said, when you're in panic, you can't hear things. And I thought that is so true. You know, when we go into that contracted stone like, you know, place, all of our senses shut down and, you know, we're just running on adrenaline and going around and around in circles, repeating the same negative statements, you know, and nothing can move forward. I'll just speak for myself. I'll say there is a strong pull I notice every day. It's almost like every day there's a test that says, are you going to go down that path? Are you going to get worried? <laughs> are you going to get anxious? And then every day I have to kind of do the work again to remind myself or some new thing happens. And I think I'm ready to just blame the circumstance or my anxiety on something. I just want somewhere to put it, you know, and then I have to say, okay, well, it's like there's this balance of letting letting ourselves have a moment and sort of accept 
what's happening and not try to be so optimistic right from the jump, but then finding that place of acceptance to get to creativity, to get to, well, okay, this is, John Oliver said it on his uh, last week tonight. He said, all right, everybody, I'm going to set a timer. You all get 30 seconds to complain and whine about whatever <laughs> it is that you can't do now because of coronavirus. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I keep remembering that. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I already have my 30 seconds, but maybe we get 30 seconds a day to just pout <laughs> and say, give me a little bit more. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. Now this is messed up or now this isn't happening. <laughs> but I really did smile when I got to this part of the essay. And that you said the universal laws still function in compassionate ways. That really made me smile. It really resonated as deeply true. I would love to hear you talk, Penny, about what some of those compassionate ways are and also remind people how do they know what their home frequency is? Because we all resonate on a different frequency. So how can they know when they are in that high vibration state? Yeah, well, you know, the universal laws are just based, I think, on the way spirit actually works, how it works in the unified field of of consciousness and energy. And there are, you know, everything is interconnected. There's no sense of separation. There's a sense that each one of us is an individual and we're also connected at a higher frequency to larger and larger groupings of souls. So, you know, I'm an individual now, but I have like a soul group that I work with, like, you know, when I meditate or write or if and then maybe that soul group is connected to other soul groups as we go up the sometimes I picture it as a cone, you know, that goes out and out and out and out um, that we keep including more and more beings into our personal sense of self. And at some point, it becomes such a unified kind of collective mind and a collective heart and a collective being that there's no limit to anything anything you need to know somebody knows it and will give it to you nothing works against you in that higher level everything works for evolution you know so that's what i mean by compassion all you have to do is place attention on a particular set of variables that you can pull off the shelf in the imaginal realm, put it together, and it's like baking cookies. You get a certain you know, recipe, and you get a certain result. You pick a few variables off the shelf, and you can make a reality out of it. And that is the way it works. If you want to create a terrible, awful reality where you, you're isolated like the ego, and you're not able to connect with anyone, and it feels dangerous, well, okay, you got it. <laughs> we made that one. Now we can make another one by not participating and taking attention out of the the heavy duty reality and power we've given the the pandemic reality. Um, and I think that we will learn that. You know that is part of what we're doing here. Um, and you know your home frequency is. Like I said before, it's that frequency or vibration of when you really like yourself, when you are feeling like you're golden, like life is working like a charm, you know, and things are helping you. And then you feel generous. And there's just a lot of flow and a lot of light. Um, it's it's like your favorite state. <laughs> I love that description. Have you seen the movie 500 Days of Summer? 
Yes. Okay. Remember the opening scene where she's in her cute, she always has the best dresses and all the birds are chirping and they're dancing and they're walking down the street. The birds are landing on everybody's shoulder. Do you remember that scene? (laughs) Kind of. It's so joyful and delightful. And I I think of home frequency for me, we did a future self exercise in coach training back in 2008. And the word, the name of my future self that came to me was harmony. So for me, home frequency also feels like harmony. I'm I'm resonating mm-hmm. with myself and with the flow that, as you said, it's like you like yourself or life is flowing. It feels exciting and hopeful and, and the ability to be really present as well. There's something about home frequency that's authentic so that even if you are making difficult choices, it's grounded in our own my own way of making those choices. Yes, and that's partly because you're so interconnected with all other beings that you have this kind of assistance in knowing what's the most accurate next step is. You know, people are helping us evolve easily. They're not trying to make things difficult for us. They're trying to make it effortless for us, you know. Wow, what a change, huh? There are two things you've taught me that I'll never forget. I mean, so many more. But one of them is that when you ask a question, the answer arrives at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's like packaged with it. And that intuition acts on a need to know in the moment basis. That at the moment you do need to know what one next step to take, you'll be shown. But it doesn't happen much sooner than that. Yeah, it would be inefficient. You know what's crazy on that level? Coronavirus related. I've been procrastinating on canceling all my flights. I just, ah, when am I going to call? The wait times are going to be so long. I have so many flights to cancel. I was just delaying it. Then I woke up today and Delta, the airline that they were all booked with, said, given all the craziness with coronavirus and our helplines are so long, we're waiving all cancellation fees from this (laughs) point forward. I thought to myself, well, there it is. And if anything, my husband, Michael, teaches me this as well, because he likes to save things till the last minute. But there are often cases where in saving things like canceling the flights, it kind of ends up working out. Today was the day I was going to cancel anyway. And they just email saying, blanket, they're waiving (laughs) all the fees. So it worked out. Yes. Let's go on. like being in the flow. Okay, go ahead move on. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, Michael's really taught me this. It was on episode 127 that we did together, and he does not believe in procrastination. He thinks that if you are not yet jumping to action, it's because you're still absorbing information or you're still reflecting and that it's valuable time that one is not in action. And I just always appreciate that perspective too. That I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah it's, there's always a good reason why we do things. Yeah, and how much better is that than beating ourselves up for not being so hyperproductive <laughs> or that there's some unseen reason why the energy isn't there? And talk about going with the flow. Maybe the flow of your energy is saying, not right now. Just don't want to do this right now. Yes. Next part of the essay. So what about the virus-related panic in the stock market? What about not being able to earn your salary? That's pretty darn real. Yes, this fear contraction is happening, but we don't have to add to the contraction with more panic and dire predictions. Remember, the stock market runs on greed and fear, and that is an artifact of the old linear reality of the ego. The ego grants money great power, 
To have it reinforces ego as the true identity. It makes us dominators. Not having it makes us victims. But the soul-based reality doesn't experience limitation or one-upmanship. It doesn't say money is about survival and success. It's just a measure of energy and flow. Now, I love this part. I love that you are (laughs) even relating the virus-related panic to the stock market and that you address that's pretty real. There are a lot of people who have been laid off or their work is frozen and their work and livelihood is so in limbo right now. That feels very real. And I could put myself in their shoes and be pretty angry if someone told me, oh, that's, I know you're not saying this, but if I interpret it mm-hmm. as, oh, that's in your imagination or just focus on what's possible. Well, I just got laid off and we're in the middle of like the mo- the biggest recession of our time that's about to hit. And um, what did they call it in the paper today? The doom loop, you know? <laughs> so what about those people that the, the fear contraction is happening and they are directly and immediately impacted in a way that feels to threaten their very survival? How do they respond to these very real shifts that are happening in the market and the marketplace and, and try to keep their vibration high while very real contraction is happening? It's, it's so hard when the physical reality is um, extremely dramatic for you to be able to pause for a moment and go down inside that reality back into the spiritual one, into the non-physical one, and just feel that perfect sense of, of you're getting what you need, everything is fine, there's all kinds of paths forward. You know, you don't have to add more worry and contraction and energy to what's going on. Just stop for a minute and relax because nobody's saying that your family's not going to be able to eat. Nobody's saying that you won't be able to find another job or go back to the job you had or start your own business or whatever. Um, Just don't start creating it by thinking in, in such a negative limiting way. You know, so... Uh, when I looked at the stock market and saw my own accounts, and I was like, that first view, I was like shocked beyond belief. And I talked to my sister, who also was shocked beyond belief. And she said, Penny, just look away. <laughs> and I had to laugh, you know, okay, just look away for now. Uh, don't saturate into, you know, this great adrenaline filled tragedy of everything, because things can bounce back. And I don't think anybody wants this this stock market to continue. Everybody wants to make it happen so that it'll turn around and quickly get back on track. I have a feeling that it's not going to linger forever and ever, that it's going to recover faster than ever. But when you're in the middle of it, just have to stay in the present moment, you know, and, and get out of your left brain, get out of the, um, you know, the negative declarative statements and the what ifs, the negative what ifs, what, you know, and <laughs> right then I was about to say, well, what if, <laughs> 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 but, but truly what if someone is not being negative, they're not being overly anxious or, or riding that adrenaline, but they're literally looking at their bank account and then they look at the rent due in a week and they're just, they just say, fact, I don't have it. It's not there. Mm-hmm. And I just got laid off. What does that person do? Either you just write it out and say, look, 
a lot of people are in this state. I'm just, we're all in it together. We'll wait and see what kind of forgiveness or what kind of options are going to be given to us. Or you say, I'm going to have a lemonade stand out in front of the house (laughs) or whatever. I'm just going to think of another way to bring in opportunities or food or money. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's bartering with other people. There are creative ways to move forward. There are so many programs being talked about now, and it goes very state by state and at the federal level, uh, rent relief, mortgage relief, tax, they just postpone the tax deadline to July instead of April. So there are things that are unfolding every day, because I think that's one of the odd effects of the whole planet being involved, (laughs) is that it's kind of hard to look the other way. Yes. You say in the next paragraph, today in the end days of the old industrial and information age realities, we misunderstand money. In the inner realms, money is like a loving child. It is an obedient entity that follows our direction without question. If we love it and welcome it, it stays with us and loves us back. If we give it generously to others and allow it freedom and fluidity, more comes to us. If we hoard and try to control it, we are sure to lose it eventually. Because the underlying belief we hold that acts as our instruction to money's flow is that we never have enough. Again, it's a materialization of our inner energy blueprint. And I love this piece. Money is like a loving child. I've never heard (laughs) that except from you. How so? (laughs) I don't know. I think it's, um, it's just, it's a loving force that it, and it obey, it's an energetic uh, force that it, it, if you love it and it truly love it, not just I love it because I want to have a lot of it, but if you just appreciate it for what it is and love it, it'll love you back. You know, and if you, whatever you want it to do, if you want it to go leave your bank account and go buy something, it'll go go there. If it, if you want to give it to somebody else, it'll go there. That's if true. you want some to come and be with you, it'll it'll come and be with you. But if you hoard it, which is, you know, and try to control it again, this is ego. It's it's almost, that's not the real idea. The real idea is the underlying idea that I have to hoard it because I never have enough. I No one loves me enough to let me have it. And so it won't stay with you. Mm. Even I'm not worthy. I'm not there yet. I'm not enough. Fill in. Right. Good enough. Yes. Smart enough. Mm-hmm aggressive enough, you know, it'd be easy to tell stories about money. I'm just reading a book about negotiation for an interview that I have coming up on the podcast. And she says, you you got to be yourself. You can't try to be someone else when you're negotiating. You have to believe in yourself and believe in your self-worth while not trying to think, oh, I need to be so aggressive in order to be good at negotiation. Mm-hmm. That would be an old way. And I especially love thinking about money as a child. It's that we are money's guardian. And money doesn't really have, I mean, it has a mind of its own in a way, but also we are its guardian. And if we love it and we are generous, it does attract all kinds of things 
I've just noticed the days I'm in a good mood, talk about home frequency, and I'm smiling and I'm kind and I'm friendly. I get all kinds of crazy perks. Like, I don't know how (laughs) Michael laughs at me because it's like, oh, I just got an upgrade. Oh, I just got a free ice cream. Oh, they just (laughs) poured me a second glass of my mimosa, you know, and he's always (laughs) laughing like only you. But I think it's that non-attachment and the trying to stay in that high frequency or delightful place, playful place with money, because it is just energy. And the more fear and attachment that we put onto it, that's a lot of pressure. It's kind of like I could see if money were a kid or a teenager, be like, mom, get away from me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know? You don't make it easy for money to come to you. Right. And it it is so subtle how it comes out in our voice and our language. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. I, I, Oof, if there's one thing you learn as an entrepreneur, it's like the broader market of clients can smell your fear. And <laughs> it's like, in mm. times of abundance and non-attachment and flow, things come in, just like you said, Penny, at the start of the year for you, they come in and, and then there will be times, I mean, I've, I've tried to pay attention to this for a while, but whenever I really wanted a client, it's like, that's not a good place to be in, really. It's good to be excited, but not overly attached. Right. I think it's good to notice that you're ready to have more clients. You know, because I notice I'll get overwhelmed. And some part of me is like, I think, you know, enough already. And then the phone stops ringing. But it's because inside, I, I really just said, I'm ready for space. And then when I've had enough space, I start to think I'm ready for stuff. <laughs> you know, right. and then Things come, people come, you know, and uh, I think we just need to notice which part of the cycle we're in. Like, okay, I'm ready for people. Uh huh. And I'm going to relax now and open up the doors and let it let it come in again. You know, and then no, I'm ready for some quiet time. I'm going to shut that down a bit for a little while. And nothing's permanent. And what I found really interesting is it's not always in the order that we just described. Sometimes all my speaking gigs slow down and nothing's on the calendar. And then I go, whoa, what is this? I must be meant to do something differently right now. And I learned that that's the only way to stay sane in the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. And I I learned that, oh, I don't know what this is yet, but weirdly my calendar just cleared itself for three or four months. (laughs) Yes. And certainly that's all happening for everybody right now, but it's happened to me in the past where I go, how odd. I must be meant to do something. And in 2019, it was restructure all my business systems and how the team operates. And now, holy cow, am I so glad that we're so much more efficient because, and that we put all these systems and structures in place because we really need it. It's 2020 and the sky is falling. And thank yeah. goodness we put all that attention on our internal yeah. systems last year. Yeah. And for me, it's often, it's time to write a new book. Yes, that you too. Know, like ideas are starting to come in and I can't be distracted with other things. And I need to grab these ideas and get them onto paper, you know. And so that's often where the clearing happens beforehand. So, yeah, you know, you have to trust that whole thing. Um, Let me read the next part. You say money copies our inner energy blueprint. Do we operate in trust and compassion or with distrust and selfishness? Do we allow it to serve us? Do we accept that gains may come as we live in a state of being where luck and generosity seem natural and losses may occur when our minds have been fixated on being critical or that life is unfair or that we might be destitute in the future? 
Perhaps we simply haven't loved or used the gift of our money's presence fully enough, so it becomes unconscious and fades away. So, as the stock market crashes with fear, validating the scarcity reality, shall we agree? Shall we crash too? Weep and moan and wail? Or can we simply, calmly focus our attention on what we do have, how life is working, how troughs turn into crests, and the flow always corrects itself, because that is a universal law. Up, down, up, down, and on, and on. Stay the course, don't stop the flow with panic and drama, or try to outwit it with cleverness. <laughs> right, again, back to the choice, right? What would be um, cleverness in this situation? What, what would you think is a sort of... Oh, it's like, oh, I should sell all my holdings now before it gets worse. You know, like these people in the government got informed early. Um, well, maybe you have a lot of capital gains that way. <laughs> you know, maybe right. it's uh, there's an opportunity coming later. You know, cleverness is let's think our way out of it, right, with, uh -huh. with left brain methodologies, you know. So, again, there's a message here in all of this. Uh, when everything is seeming like it's crashing and so forth, uh, you can think of this. You are actually fine. You are alive. Life is working. Nature is working. Under the chaos is a peaceful, wise place. Go there. Stop time. In each moment, there is an action that is both a solution to a problem and a step into a new creation. That's interesting, I think. In each moment, there is an action that is both a solution to a problem and a step into a new creation. Do the next productive thing. Keep your eyes peeled. Not to avoid more negativity, but to be informed of what your next joyful, purposeful act is. I love the piece that you read twice, so that in each moment there is an action that is both a solution to a problem and a step in a new creation. And... I love how simple this is. Do the next productive thing. So you're not saying sit like a lump and just wait for this to be over. You're saying do or to get the whole answer, you know, right. that goes off into the future about, yes. you know, forever. I'm, I'm always yeah. telling people when I speak at companies back in the good old day when I had speaking gigs, I would say, uh, don't try to solve your pivot up front. Nobody can do that. You can't know the answer. And I always say that the whole pivot method ends up at what can you try? It ends up at a bunch of small experiments because you cannot solve your pivot. And for the managers, I tell them, do not try to solve somebody's career conversation. It's the wrong approach that instead of solving, it's about exploring. And I love how you say, keep your eyes peeled and to be informed of what your next joyful, purposeful act is. Just the notion that this time, which can feel scary and somber, that there is a next joyful, purposeful act. I think that is really uplifting and something that if people can find that joy, that light, the cracks within the dark, that's where the way forward is. Exactly. Next theme in the essay, you say it's interesting too how coronavirus brings up the issue of isolation and group interaction. The old consciousness sees this as an either or situation. Either we have to be quarantined and alone, or communing in groups could kill you. Both options seem to be punishments and deprive us of freedom. The new consciousness, on the other hand, sees this as win-win. 
I isolate myself to care for myself and to care for others. We serve each other by serving ourselves in a compassionate manner first. Others make the world safer for me by practicing safety measures. Yeah, you know, and the ego is the isolated reality, right? You know, ego, if it gets in groups, it's threatened. You know, so it often needs to create this superiority in order to stay isolated from others. So it can't be affected or watered down, you know, and I think we have that same kind of thing happening with, you know, the epidemic that, you know, we have these choices and yet we're, we're doing both. And now we're taking care of ourselves and others at the same time. So that's the new perception. Yes. And I think, you know, there is a message in this too, that, and I wrote this, the, um, this is not a foreign invader, as we're being told quite often in the news here. It is a shared invader. It is the catalyst for a human process of globalization of care, calmness, and compassion. It teaches us that we need each other, that we are intricately connected with each other and with everything we touch. We share the air. We breathe each other's breaths. We begin to respect the existence and power of unseen things. You know, here's this tiny little thing, you know, that we can't see that it has great power over the world at this moment. Mm. You know, and so what other unseen things are there that we might benefit from, for instance? You know? What a great question. And a great point that it, look at this microscopic thing that has so much power and is affecting how things are unfolding. And then to look at other phenomenon and it's, it's like, because this is a virus and it can be studied in a lab and people can create vaccines, we give it credit, we give it credence and we believe it, but it could just as easily be frequency consciousness. Yes. The holographic universe that you talk about in frequency. <laughs> perception. I mean, your latest book, Penny, was transparency. And it's just crazy how I mean, I love this essay, how coronavirus is speeding us toward transparency. But there's something there about, you know, we've had conversations even on the show about how opaque systems just aren't going to hold up. And I don't know, I wonder how transparency yeah. comes in directly here, because of course, the virus is invisible, but maybe it's like the ultimately transparent. <laughs> it's the ultimate well, first of all, it's introducing a lot of people to the reality that there is a reality, you know, that is quite real, that's underneath the physical one. And then there's a reality under the virus, that is part of the non-physical reality. So the virus is, you know, so small, we can't see it with a naked eye, we can see it with a microscope, but behind the spread of it, or the even existence of it, is an inner energy blueprint. If we can change things there, at that core level, with the, the it's almost like the DNA, if we can change the core pattern, it will change the form. That's why as we pull fear out of our collective mind, you know, and start to put put attention into creativity and peace and all these other things, um, we're going to drain it of energy. 
and it will dissolve away eventually. And through that, it's taking great cooperation. So you can see how people and politicians who resist what's happening, resist the flow, it actually delays that process and then worsens it, essentially. So now you see people cooperating. And there was even the, an article in the New York Times about the dissenters, the ones that say, I don't care. If I get corona, I get corona. So be it. But it's not about that. It's about caring for others and doing this, as you said, in that last piece that you read, it's as much for ourselves and self-isolating as it is for the greater good and for the community. Right. And if people who don't care about it, I heard some interviews with bikers here during bike week in Florida about, well, nobody gets out of here alive. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. yeah. And, and what about your parents? What about your grandparents? You know, don't you care? It's another ego thing in mm -hmm. a way this isolated individual, I can do whatever I want. In the next part, you say, and so we are quarantined. We are to stay home, distance from others and avoid social gatherings, perhaps even to ration our toilet paper. Goodness, use less. What are we to do with these forced timeouts and cabin fever? Haven't we been trying to meditate and practice mindfulness? Haven't we wanted time to just be and aren't we terribly distracted with social activity, work, family responsibilities, and watching YouTube videos? <laughs> really? You know, the, the other message here then comes is like, hey, be quiet. You've got the opportunity now. Get centered. Stop matching the crazy frequency of the virus and potential losses and raise your vibration to that refined state that you know as inner beauty. When I read these See if you can feel what that is. If inner beauty, these are states of being, profound satisfaction, ecstatic appreciation, gleeful creativity, and even diaphanous love. These are tactile states that you can slide into, and they are very refined. And that's a choice, too. You can go back into that crazy, you know, anxiety vibe of the virus. It's a it's a frenetic thing. Or you can move into these other states. How would you describe diaphanous love? Diaphanous feels to me like somebody shaking silk in the air. You know, <laughs> it's such a soft, almost permeable. Um, it's a state of just. Wow, I don't, you know, <laughs> um, that it 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 penetrates you so easily. It it just opens you up. Mm. And it's like almost a swoon or something. Mm. Um, when you go into that kind of feeling state, uh, it's it's a very high state. Mm. In the next part, you say, and what about all the neglected parts of yourself? Your inner artist, gardener, writer, cook, reader of great books hungry student or master organizer? What about your inner dreamer? Some say viruses are like seeds. They can lie inert for long periods until they come in contact with something truly alive. In this case, a nice, juicy, wet mucous membrane. I wonder if we aren't similar, resting in our semi-dead beliefs and dulling habits, waiting for something life-giving to brush past. We're waiting for the touch of the soul, though, to light us up and set us to expanding. Imagine yourself touched by the light right now. Activate your new life and expand gleefully. 
so beautifully said. <laughs> and and how funny to say expand gleefully while we're physically limited into our home. Restricted, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then we can expand energetically because of that, because we're not running around from meetings and place to place and social gatherings. And you did a meditation back when you were in New York last. And I'll never forget it. You said, gather yourself. Bring all the parts of yourself that you sent out to those meetings and errands and phone calls. You've like projected yourself into a hundred places over the course of this day. Bring them all back here now. Well, it is funny how this whole thing is just filled with ironies. Right. You know, like like it it's like it seems constrictive, but really it's expansive, you know. <laughs> um so um yeah, I say next to the I, this I, this phrase has been coming to me again and again. It's like they say, perhaps you know the saying, praise Allah, but tie your camel to the post, you know? Or yes, let's let's say that the divine is all going to take care of it and we can just trust totally and give ourselves over to it, but also, you know, wash your hands. You know? <laughs> let's, I say, let's work in both worlds. Don't ignore or minimize either one. Wash your hands, clean your body and environment, don't touch your face, protect your airways when necessary, strengthen your immune system, stay away from crowds and follow protocols, protect your loved ones and elders by advocating healthy practices, but then at the same time, work in the non-physical reality. Find your home frequency, your soul in the body state, that feeling you have when life is beautiful and working like a charm, and stay in it. Express your best stuff. Don't backslide into panic, depression, blame, or criticism. And if you do, correct yourself quickly. Don't unconsciously reinforce negative beliefs about life. Don't add to suffering. Proceed as if you are lucky and creative and loved and supported by others, seen and unseen. I love that piece. Proceed as if you are lucky and creative <laughs> and loved and supported by others, seen and unseen. That is so beautiful. You also say, make it your job to lift people up rather than keep them subdued and on the verge of hopelessness. We are headed for transparency in a transparent <laughs> energy body, a transparent emotional body and a transparent mental body. No virus can attach itself. No mental viruses can brainwash you. No emotional viruses can manipulate your mood. And no physical viruses can trick your immune system. Yeah, when I wrote that, that just came out of nowhere. But it, you know, it makes sense because when you're really transparent, you know, there's no fear for anything to hook onto. Mm. No, nothing to get a rise out of you or a reactionary thing out of you. And so that reality of um, invading viruses or invading bacteria or anything that invades you, um, it just doesn't even exist. Because fear doesn't exist in, in the spiritual reality. It's writers agreeing you know, with and you. So what I don't happens know if you can that, hear him barking. Yeah. He's agreeing. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, he's agreeing. Yeah. <laughs> but that's true. Yeah. I, I even think about the term energy vampires and the times I've been most susceptible, let's say, I didn't have clear, I don't know, I don't want to say boundaries, because I know even that word, you don't technically wouldn't use that word. But 
there's a certain groundedness or home frequency that things don't attach in that same way. If you don't match them with fear, I'm not saying this very articulately, but well, yeah, no, I think what partly you're getting at is that you can't think about life as that you're keeping something out. Right. Because then you believe in this split between inside and outside world and that the outside world is huge and and dangerous and bigger than you and you know it's hard to protect your tiny little self from it. But when you go into the inner reality, there's no line between the energy in your body, the energy of the air and the energy of the tree or the wall or the chair. It's all energy that that vibrates. You know, so the idea of having a boundary is like an imaginary line between you and this supposed outside world. So I, I've stopped trying to think about boundaries, but instead there is presence, right? You're just filling your field with your home frequency or with your preferred state, and you're giving a vibrational frequency to your field for this moment, let's say. And the next moment it could get higher if you want. You know what? It can adapt and evolve. But so the frequency itself actually, I think, allows things to materialize out of the field. So if you stabilize at your higher frequency and your home frequency, you get things that are of that same vibration. And you know, you get people that are that way that start to support you. You get opportunities that allow you to express more of yourself and so forth. And I think you it helps to suppress um, uh, illnesses. Like there's not a why would you have a reason to be sick if there's no emotional thing attached to it? I know it's you know? it's like for the first time people are being told you got to take care of your immune system rest, sleep, work out, wash your hands, all these things. It's like people are given permission to put that front and center right now mm -hmm. in a way mm -hmm. that it wasn't true before because the potential consequences of getting sick can be quite extreme for some people. So the instruction yes. now is, wow, take care of yourself. How revolutionary. We should be doing this anyway, but our at least <laughs> in the US, like this sort of capitalist right. factory system doesn't tend to prioritize that. Well, and you know, the immune system is a function of the thymus gland and of the heart. So as you take care of your immune system, it also is all about caring for your own heart, you know, and that has an emotional component. You know, it, it's a, a function of spirit in the body. So it all ties together. Don't you wonder what the sea change would be, could be, might be of people who experience working from home and actually don't want to go back to the way things were. I, I do right. wonder about that because I think some people are going to be just itching to get back to the office. They love everything about it. They love their commute. They love the office. Love, love, love it. But I just wonder what percentage of people are going to say, oh, I have tasted freedom. I have tasted life on the other side. I don't want that anymore. That's not for me. Yes. Or there's some hybrid approach that wouldn't have they wouldn't have had the felt experience of it previously to this yeah i i feel that and I'm, i've had the sense that this whole thing is like a deep dive into the sea right you know and that we're swimming underwater swimming swimming and then we surface and as we do 
something has been washed off the surface of us, you know, like some sticky substance or something that we're clean. And that feeling of emerging out of this phase is life-changing. It's not just like, oh, well, back to normal, the old normal. Everybody's using that phrase, the new normal. Now, I'm not sure they know what it means yet. (laughs) But I get this feeling that people are going to feel different. Like they, they may feel like, okay, I'm, I can go back to work now. And then they think about going back to work and they think, Oh, I don't really want to do that anymore. Or I don't want to have to relate to those people in the same way I used to relate to them. Maybe while you're in the the process of hibernating here, you get an idea for a business that you could start with a friend or some kind of project, you know, um, And so it starts you off on an expanded self-expression cycle. You know, I think a lot of people are going to have these kinds of insights and so forth. Um, I say here at the end kind of is that perhaps the coronavirus has come to help us see through our own ego-based behaviors and identity to cut through illusions rapidly. You know, cycles may repeat a few times, but the track we're on is an expanding spiral. So with each pass, we get improvement. Contractions always release and expand again. So if we can stay in trust and stay in the flow, minute by minute, noticing what we need to notice, you know, this is going to be an amazing thing. When we come back together to celebrate the passing of this phase, we are going to be more of ourselves and so much more respectful and loving to each other. So I I end by saying that this is such an important world event with such promise of clarity. But truly, you know, Jenny, I just, I feel like we've talked about this, you know, how um, so many surprise insights might be coming out of it. And again, it's the irony of it not actually being what we think it is. Right. I keep thinking about that too. I even think about some of the people who are dying from it. You know, I'm Mm. not poo-pooing this at all, but it might be that the way people die or the experience they have as they pass through that shift is going to be very altering for them or clearing for them. Mm. You know, who knows? Um, I hate to think of these things as anything as really negative, Right. Because, of course, I believe in reincarnation, <laughs> you know, and yeah, that we all are communicating exactly with, what we need. Yeah. And that we have physical life and non-physical life. And, and we, we don't really ever die. You know, we're just working at different frequencies of ourselves. Hmm. Right. It, it, it depends on one's relationship to death and what you think happens and your ability to communicate with family members after they pass through the human realm. I love that you use the the ocean metaphor, the sea, because I keep thinking about certainly during times of massive upheaval, I've always been fascinated by blessings in disguise. And I see this as a time a giant tsunami is sort of crashing on our shore. But when the tide rolls back out, there's going to be a lot of stuff on the beach, you know, some trash (laughs) and some treasure. So we're going to sort through it. There's going to be a lot of cleanup to do a lot of businesses that have to just completely restructure and rethink things, a lot of lives, a lot of people, families, kids, I mean, and then there's gonna be so much treasure, we just don't even know what it is yet. It's yeah, 
it's sort of like you look at the trash and think, do we want this? Right. Let's redesign this. You know, let's make improvements suddenly. Like, let's get back to business, but do it in a way where there's huge amounts of improvement and one one you know solving many problems with one solution and being more efficient and effective i think that's what's going to happen yeah and as you said that actually if we all asked for let's get the most powerful start to the new decade let's start it on the right foot <laughs> we would have never anticipated what is happening right now but there's no doubt there's no question that we're all going to emerge changed with new insights and as you say a promise of clarity yes penny thank <laughs> you so so much i i can't wait to hear listeners what you think what questions thoughts feedback again you can always leave us a voice memo quick one at pivotmethod.com ask and you can catch up on past episodes if if this sounded way out of left field, but not the left brain, then, uh, <laughs> then welcome to Penny World. It's such a delightful place to be. And you'll understand if you listen to the previous episodes, a lot more of these concepts. Uh, so I encourage you go to pivotmethod.com slash PJ show. And don't forget, Penny will be joining us on April 8th for the Pivot Insider monthly Q&A call. So if you want to join us for that and ask questions live in real time, go to pivotmethod.com slash insider. So Penny, I'll throw it over to you. Is there anything you'd like to say in closing um, as we wrap up? And, and thank you so much, by the way, for doing this and for sharing your essay with all of us and for writing it and just thinking the way that you do. It's so needed right now. It's like oxygen. Oh, thank you. I guess I had said something to you about how I feel in some moments that this is all over already, that we have surfaced out of it, that things are changing, that we look back on it. I almost feel myself in the future or in this other higher frequency reality already. And I'm looking back and just seeing how we got through it, how everybody individually pitched in and got through it. Um, and made their choices and got their results from their choices. Um, and I feel like when I'm in that place of seeing how it's over, it's like, that's why I feel like um, ecstatic almost, <laughs> which is again, yeah, so, so weird. Cool. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I get that vision. So, Wow, I love it. And I love the idea of all of us. What would that be like? Imagine go to the place where this is over, go to the place where you're through the hardest part of it. And 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 imagine into that, even if it doesn't feel like that's what's here right now. Because I can sense what you're saying, Penny, there's a part of me that knows it's going to be okay. And to connect to that and create that and, and feel into it that at that realm, that place does exist. It's just not we're not there yet. We haven't caught up yet. Yeah. Yeah, it, it exists. Amazing. Penny so. Pierce, thank you so much. Thank you for being you and for being here My and having this conversation. to be with you. <laughs> Me <laughs> really, too. Truly. Me too. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to do another one soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Pivot Podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips and templates by signing up for Pivot List, 
a curated twice-monthly newsletter where I share the inside scoop on what I'm reading, watching, listening to, and the latest tools I'm geeking out on. Sign up at pivotmethod.com slash pivotlist. Get show notes from this episode at pivotmethod.com slash podcast. And connect with me on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. Remember, build first, then your courage will follow. Hasn't it always?